What's up, investors? On today's podcast, I'm going to be doing a little bit more deeper advanced dive into rate caps, which kind of operate on like an insurance product out there, and a little bit of floating rate versus fixed rate debt. We are going to be putting this along with, I don't know, the hours and hours of content in the syndication e-course, which is created for purely passive investors pretty much the LP guide out there. And I'm going to be confident to saying that this blows any other random book out there on Amazon or wherever, where not many of these things are created by operators like myself, who are in the trenches on this with a little bit of a real world experience. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. What we really try and get to in the e-course, which you guys can get the free light version at simplepassivecashflow.com slash syndication. And of course, you guys can get glimpses of that e-course by signing up for the club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. But we've gotten a lot of questions lately with the interest rates going up well over 4 probably by the time you're hearing this 5% plus within the last couple quarters. And this is finally a topic that has reared its ugly head in a way. And I'm going to start a little bit of the deeper dive with a little bit of the history. I would say pre-2020, you started to, or at least in my part of the world, right? Which is not all billions and billions of transactions out there. I think in our ecosystem, you start to see 80% of the deals pre-2020 being done with fixed rate debt, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, that type of stuff. The good thing about fixed rate debt, obviously, is that the interest rate stays fixed, even if interest rates go up, which happened very recently. However, the bad thing, especially if you're doing value-add real estate, is you want to be able to get out of the deal and sell it without paying a huge prepayment penalty. And these prepayment penalties will range by lender from a percent to, I've seen maybe a few percent, which can be a huge deal killer for an operating group who does a good job and value-adds a property. And you pick the right tool for the job, the debt which is leveraged like anything else. And we've talked esoterically about this in the past. Debt or leverage applied to a deal makes a good deal better and a bad deal worse. Similarly, how I've talked about people's money mindsets, right? Very People, money kind of magnifies who you are. If you're generous and a kind person and you get more money, you typically give it away or you find ways to expand on that and maybe you do a mini foundation of your own. If you're cheap, chinzy, and frugal, which is great to a certain point in my opinion, but once you get above a million dollars, I think you got to be very careful of being this type of tight person. And even when you do get money, you, you hold on to it and you tend to repel the people that you want in life. But I digress, right? So in deals, very similarly, if you, by picking the right debt product, you're able to make a good deal better and a, or a bad deal worse. The hard thing for passive investors is really determining what's a good deal, what's a bad deal. And if it's a good deal, then yeah, let's use a 
more of a bridge product, floating rate product. So we don't have to, we can avoid those nasty prepayment penalties. And if it's a bad deal, maybe it should be going in with fixed rate debt. But what happened, what you started to see 2021 going into 2022 was the prices of properties started to go up, especially as we started to go through the pandemic. And there was obviously lots of inflation from a lot of the fake stimulus money going in out there due to the pandemic. And what you started to see happen was as prices rise and cap rates expanded, you started to see this shift from, like I said, 80% of deals done with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac fixed debt to 80% of the deals flip-flopping to floating rate debt. And with the floating rate debt, now it becomes a little bit more of a advanced topic. And quite honestly, as a passive investor, most passive investors, it's might this what we're talking about here might be a little bit outside of the scope of a passive investor. However, I'm big on at least you guys understand this, or at least you are aware of these concepts. However, this is where I would definitely say definitely starts to trend on the line of invest with good people that have a track record that have been going through this and a general partnership and an operating group that has seen this, gone through it, and they are your eyes and ears and they're making the best decisions on your behalf. And you also ensure that with a structure of a deal where everybody's equally aligned. Passive investors make money when general partners make money and therefore the general partners are the experts on the boat and they make the decisions is basically what I'm saying. But hey, this is a podcast, YouTube channel, all this, it's all for infotainment here. So when you start to get in the world of floating rate debt, there is, you open yourself up to a little bit of risk that the rate can greatly expand on you. Now, obviously, I am, we're talking about this and bringing this topic up when your damn interest rates went up. So much, in fact, that this is the most quickest rate hike in history, or at least past the 1971 going off the gold standard, which I call the modern economic system. Now, there has obviously been one or two occasions where interest rates have been higher. As you you hear most older people born, but before the 1970s say, I remember when interest rates were whatever. That's whatever. And yes, interest rates do impact the debt service. Like in some of our deals where we have floating rate debt, and I'm actually talking about experience here. And I think that's what you guys like, right? As opposed to just in theory, academic. Look, I'm getting my butt kicked with a handful of these properties where we had floating rate debt. And in some of these, my debt service has gone 150%, almost doubling, in fact. And which is fine if you have a deal and the deals that once they get out of the restabilization period, you start to value add, obviously, and you have the cash reserves built up, no problem. But the problem is when you have deals that are still in that infancy stage. Sometimes we can turn around a property in a few months. Sometimes it can take a year or a couple of years, right? That's why we're rewarded. And this is also another reason why the large institutions don't like to touch these types of slightly hairy projects that we like to get involved with for the obviously better returns. My mission at SimplePassiveCashflow.com is to help hardworking individuals like you do what I did, which was leave a professional career behind by building an investment portfolio 
where the passive income exceeded my daily expenses. It frustrates me that there are so many people out there mindlessly investing in Roth, IRA, 401k, mutual funds, or worse, going through a useless financial planner who is just selling retail and financial products. Here's the problem. There are multiple middlemen taking a cut of your returns, all the while you take all the rest. In our community, we spend a little bit of effort to educate ourselves and build organic relationships with other past investors to source the best off-market opportunities, all while I'm enjoying higher returns and better security because the asset that you purchased is a real hard asset, not some kind of fake stuff like a crypto or altcoin. The trifecta is simple. Number one, syndications to get number two, passive losses to unlock other tax best practices, and thirdly, infinite banking. Join our network for more insider access and educational material at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And also sign up for a free strategy call once you're in there. Enter our ecosystem. So if you did come out to Hawaii on our annual investor retreat, you'd be able to develop those relationships with the right people. To check out future events, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash events. And we'll see you in person. So going back to the floating rate debt. So, you know, when the interest rates go up, your interest rates go up and your debt service goes up. But the problem, the second thing that I wanted to uh, you guys to be aware of, and I think a lot of times people don't think of this, is that there's a second component, which is the rate cap. Now, the rate cap is dictated by pricing within the marketplace, and it's actually an insurance product that insurance companies will sell to buyers like us that it'll be a side product. It won't be sold under the umbrella of the mortgage company. It'll be sold separately from a different vendor. But think of it like an insurance product, essentially. So it's an insurance product that folks like us can purchase to say, if the interest rates goes up more than a percent, 2%, 3%, it's at least scalable to whatever, whatever you want to protect against that if you surpass a certain amount, the insurance starts to kick in. Obviously, if you make a cap saying that I want to protect everything higher than a 1% increase from where I'm at now, that's going to be a lot more expensive and costly than if you're like, all right, if it goes up 3%, then I want the insurance to kick in. Now, this is, we learn everything, we knew things every day. I, and I'm just speaking for myself. What I didn't realize is why were all these kind of standard rate caps in place? Never going through this. And I think a lot of operators never went to this, don't really understand like the reason why certain rate cap standards are in place. It's not like a PPM, right? A PPM is like a hundred pages of a bunch of legal jargon, 99% of which never really get enacted unless a certain very rare event happens. But when you go through one of those rare events, like for me personally, like the one where I don't know what the heck section this is, and it's different in every PPM document, but where, you know, general partners get to vote out another general partner, right? been there, done that. Now I know what the heck that 500 words is there for. As I used to say, when I was working in construction, a lot of the employee rules are written in blood, a little bit less that sense in PPMs. Similarly here with rate caps, you know, why was it that the standard rate cap that people would buy would be 2%, 3%? My before going through this experience, I thought everything less than 2%, one and a half percent. That's just normal fluctuations. And you should be able to go, you're going into deals with enough buffer anyway, that it, there's not no sense to pay that. Typically, just to throw numbers out there, so I don't just, you know, 
What's hard to, when you talk about insurance is, yeah, an event could happen, but how much does it cost? And you need to make general partners ourselves, we need to make the determination is if that's a good use of money based on the risks that could happen and the out the most negative outcome that could happen versus just taking that money and sticking it in the bank. Now, pre-2023, a lot of these rate caps where I'm protecting myself 2 to 3% of the rate increasing might have costed, let's just say $50,000. Again, we're talking a big range of properties, anywhere from $20 million to $50 million properties, 50 grand, right? Just to put a round number out there, just for comparison's sake. Oh, what we saw happening with the interest rates shooting up so quickly in 2022 second half and into 2023 is that there was a lot of volatility in the in the interest rates and that vol- that volatility is what's making things really hurt on the rate cap side because the insurance providers has to price in the volatility and that what once was a $50,000 rate increase or $50,000 cost at one time for that standard 2 to 3% rate rate cap now might cost two to four million. I did the math at one time. You're talking about on the scale of a 20x increase. It's a little bit absurd. Some people might think it's warranted. But when you're talking two to four million dollars, one kind of starts to scratch your head. And especially the pragmatic operators like ourselves start to think, I much rather have two to four million dollars in the bank and I'll take my chances that rate hike comes down, which is the ultimately the decision that needs to be made at this point. And there's a multitude of factors, but this is the world that we live in right now. And this is why it's important to invest with people with experience and good logic and judgment to make the best decision. In a way that if you were to spend let's just say $4 million on a rate cap, you give away that dry powder and that could probably rehab pretty much your whole apartment right there. And you just blew it on insurance. And it's to use it more of an extreme example and for gamblers out there that like blackjack, and maybe I don't want to use this analogy because, you know, real estate investing is not gambling in my opinion, but not many players will take the insurance if the dealer shows an ace. It's actually pretty rare. Why? Most people are there are gambling for fun and they're there to gamble and to pay insurance to protect yourself in that worst case. Not again, not a lot of people do it in similar fashion here, especially with the current volatility just at all time highs makes the rate caps just extremely expensive. Everybody's betting on the side that these volatility will come down as especially as we start to see right now this talk about inflation is already coming down and which is the sole pretty much the primary reason why Powell and the Fed are raising interest rates and they've already mentioned as I pull out the quote here there are going to be ongoing increases which suggest further rate hikes perhaps more at a lower quarter point rise as opposed to the 0.75s we've been seeing now this is all speculation and there's a little bit of uncertainty here. Eh, there's a moderate amount of uncertainty here. But still, the bet on the street is that the volatility of the interest rates will come down. There will be an end to this. There will be an end to it. And the cost of the rate caps will drastically come down at that point. We don't know when, but it will happen at some. So 
I'm in a few deals where the interest rate caps that we put in place to protect us, it blew past that. And this is another lesson learned for myself. Why is it that people will stand on standard if they wanted to play it safe, do a two to three percent? Why don't they protect it higher? I went and just did a little bit of interpolation here with this little chart. And what I realized is out of the last several aggressive rate hikes, only maybe, a, I don't know, like, I guess this is maybe 10, 20% of rate height adjustments surpassed a more than 3% adjustment or increase in rate hikes within a short period of time. Again, we're this current rate hike late 2022, early 2023 is unprecedented. Right now, I'm recording this in February 2023. We're looking at four and a half percent, probably will be more like five percent when it's all said and done here in the next several months. Completely unprecedented. But if you're looking back in hindsight, this is a question that we had, right? Should you have gone variable versus fixed rate? Yeah, in hindsight, perhaps who would have predicted interest rates skyrocketing in the quickest manner as here? And then secondly, shouldn't you have used a lower rate cap, maybe gone with a 2% instead of a 3%? Well, even if you would have went with a 3%, we're well past that. And that to me is, it just speaks to like, when you have standards in the banking industry or in this insurance product and you shoot over it, at this point, if even if you had a rate hike in place, it is not protecting you at this point. And nobody probably in their right mind would have put a rate hike to protect you 400% plus whereas where we're in that territory at this point. Unprecedented times. And you can always say that something else will come up in the future right now. But in this point in time, we're, some people say we're in a recession, not GDP negative growth hasn't hit us yet. It will probably hit us a year from now. But right now, as real estate operators, we are in the dark ages. We are in the recession. We are the leading people to go through the tough times. As every business cycle is cyclical, we're the first ones to go down this slippery water slope. The good news is we are also the first ones to come out of it. And as soon as the interest rates subside, the volatility goes down, we can buy rate caps at a reasonable level of 50 grand instead of $2 million, $4 million to be specific. And the interest rates stabilize and possibly come down a little bit. We can get back outside and doing what we do best. Now, that said, we prefer preferred equity at this point to at least have our money churning and working for us. If not, you're getting killed by inflation, at least right now, 6%, or let alone maybe even 9 or 10%. That This is not a lot of people talk about these rate cap hikes. And this adds a lot of complexity, and you have to play the game as it unfolds ahead of you. Another issue that happens is this concept called stagflation. Now, essentially what stagflation is, I'm not going to talk about from an economy standpoint. I don't care. I'm a real estate operator. If you want to listen to the other economists out there that don't have skin in the game, you can go just Google this and YouTube it on your own. But a stagflation from a real estate investor operator standpoint is you are having a stagnant economy growth with significant inflation, meaning that your rents might be still growing, but it's staying a little bit of flat or not increasing 
as high as the expenses increasing. And when expenses, I'm talking, if you guys download the analyzer that we used to have for single family homes, I think you can still get it actually at simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer. But it, that analyzer is basically showing you the PL, which is profit and loss. So if you look at the loss portion are all your expenses and things like maintenance, fee costs, vacancy costs, capex, landscaping. One one in particular I always pull out for people's for comparison is insurance costs. Take that just that one line item of a couple dozen things. Our insurance costs has skyrocketed because of inflation. It will assume $600 per unit per year and now we're seeing 850 on average across the portfolio. Um, and that's an increase of 41% or so, which is a lot higher than the stated inflation. And each of these line items on your loss side is impacted differently. But overall, this is stagflation, at least to me, somebody who actually has skin in the game and investing and operating which is our rents are going up, right? We're still value adding properties, getting higher rents, and that's great. However, the losses, they actually not the losses, but the expenses are going up at a slightly higher rate, meaning that the net profit is lower and lower. So that's fine. If you that's why we have cash reserves, working capital to go through these types of events. That's is definitely seeing some people who are weaker deals and maybe elected to play a slightly more aggressive strategy. Again, like I said earlier, like just one thing, picking the right debt tool, right? Some people choose to be a little bit more aggressive in their debt product, and now they're paying for it more. At the end of the day, it, with this stuff, it is a, there is a little bit of gamble, or should I say calculated risk. And certainly people have their models. Models are performers, right? They don't mean anything. If you have unprecedented things happen, like interest rates skyrocketing 4 or 5% in six months, then it's going to break the model. But that said, that's why you diversify into multiple deals. And this is why I preach about that you're always investing. You don't just invest off emotion. Now seems like a good time because it's typically not. And those are the, I'm talking to the people sitting on the sidelines. Oh, I'll just wait till 2024, 2025, 2026 when things are better. No, it doesn't work like that. It's just better to always be dollar cost averaging, right? So that you, whenever maybe the music stops and it will stop at some point, you have other projects going on and it's gotten past that infancy stage. If you're new and you're starting out, it's tough, but you got to start, you got to start playing the game at some point and getting some projects moving and off and rolling. Again, a lot of that is in the syndication e-course and the curriculum and ultimately, and what it is, you just have to get around other purely passive accredited investors. Like I said, right now, we're sitting here February of 2023. We know the direction things are going, but you have to make a educated decision on the way you play the cards and way things are falling right now. And here's what I look at. If you look at the past history of rate increases, Typically, the rate increases happen a lot faster than the rates are cut. This is very similar to if you look at the market cycles. The rise up to the top is a lot slower than the fall to the bottom. Looking at this, just doing some root, using my finger to compare it, 
one could argue that it goes up two or three times faster than the. So I'm and I've got my optimistic outlook. I've got my pessimistic outlook. The best thing I can do as an operator is assume that for the worse and model for that and account for that, which may mean buying rate caps at a higher price, but not until I absolutely have to. And because you know. Again, why would I want to spend two to four million dollars to pay the insurance company if that insured event never happens? So like putting a very expensive insurance policy in your car that you rarely get into accidents in anyway. Insurance products are products to make money for the insurance company, and there's a lot of built-in profit margin in there for them, and that's. Why, for my general, generally, I'm a little bit slower to buy insurance because of my awareness of that. Typically, as far as insurance goes, larger companies know to self-insure. Therefore, you don't pay out the extra money in the margins that the insurance company needs to charge to pay for their overhead and to create a profitable business. I'm not saying that that. Rate cap today isn't worth the two to four million dollars that they're selling it for. Mathematically, it probably is a lot worth a lot less than that, and therefore, mathematically, based on pr- probability and odds of a longer, deeper, in- increased rate environment, that it probably makes more sense to just pocket the two to four million dollars, not give it to the insurance company, and roll along with that, and continue, especially if you're doing value add projects. To continue to put that into your property to work yourself out of it. Now, this this the, this kind of illustrates the danger with people buying turnkey rentals or rental properties on their own. This is called the buy, hope, and pray strategy. Where and you definitely never want to do the buy, hope, and pray strategy on non-value add properties. Be, and also do the floating rate type of deal because if the floating rate adjusts on you like how it is, you're you don't have the ability to value add or work yourself out of the hole that you have on a value add project. Of course, you don't want to rely on that totally and have a total cavalier attitude, which is why in most cases a rate is a standard process put in place to mitigate against a big rate increase. But like I said. 2023. Who would have known? All the rate caps you put on there, the standard rate caps, two to three percent, we blew them out over the water at this point. So it wouldn't have mattered anyway, since we're well beyond that. You learn things when you go through it, and then hopefully in the future, I won't. It seems to be when people get older and more wiser, you tend to be a lot more conservative. However, in the value add game, you need to have a certain level of aggressiveness. I just. I was actually just watching the first Top Gun movie. I've never watched the movie. I'm only through half of it. But in the first scene, I forget what the guy's name, but the guy got spooked, right? Because the MiG came after him, and he put his flight, his wings down on the colonel's desk, and says, "I'm spooked. I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to be a pilot anymore." I really hope, personally, I don't act like that in the next few years when we eventually pull through this, and we will, right? That I'm like. Screw this! I don't want to do that. But I'm already feeling the feelings and emotions within me that we've already gotten to a point personally and within our inner circle, especially in the family office group. That if you have two, three million dollars net worth, 
you should be able to just put it on pref equity, make 10, 12% and be able to live comfortably with that. Why take on all this risk of tenants? We got through a lot of the delinquencies with the tenants. Don't get me started on that. And then worrying about interest rates just skyrocketing on this, even though it very well never happened again. Right? There may be protections put in place to avoid this in the future. The same thing never really happens again in the same way. And especially if you know you decide that you're not going to be operating multifamily apartments for no more than a decade or two, probably it's not on a long enough time horizon to be exposed to a number of one of these specific events like rates jumping up four or 5% again. But just another thought I've been having, and I think the reason why people listen to this is you know these are the type of, this is the journey. I used to own the single family homes before, got rid of all those things because ultimately I hear about it all from new investors, especially the ones doing those dinky little short-term rentals as an unprofessional landlord. Come to me when you've had 10 evictions. My track record, one out of three of them, will just jack up your property and you'll lose faith in humanity because you'll have to pay a five twenty thousand $20,000 repair bill and you'll scratch your head. It's like, oh yeah, that spreadsheet that I had that told me I was going to get two $3,000 a year or $200 a month. I can just chuck that against the wall because it's gone. It's gone with one idiot just messing up your property and just it's just gone. And it will happen. This is just a numbers game. So now you know why a question that came up a while back ago is like, why do these larger pref equity, more sophisticated investors that drop the biggest checks two, three, four, five million dollars to give an example, why do they invest on the pref equity? You can make so much more on the common equity side. You could, right? Typically in the capital stack, the common equity, the LPs that are going after the higher returns, the splits are the ones that aren't as sophisticated, but they need that, right? If your net worth is only a million, $2 million or less, you need to go after that. But slowly over time, or at least what I see in the passive investor moving up to larger investor, five, $10 million net worth is that the risk tolerance gets to be a lot less. So I just speculate why I may or may not be right, but that is what is happening. The larger you get as an investor, the less risk you want to take and you start to gravitate towards preferred equity side of the equation more to the debt because what we talked about today, the rate cap and floating rates and these types of things. Now, one question that came in, do you prefer in this climate doing a variable rate cap purchase in increasing rate cap climate or the fixed rate with a prepayment penalty hit? What makes sense to you? Again, it depends on the deal, right? If you have a very like clear cut way to value add the units and you can raise extra funds to sustain you through the negative cash flow period of that, then heck yeah. Still, even after all we've been through, you, to me, you got to do that floating rate and ha- and to avoid that prepayment penalty with the fixed rate debt. And that's where I think past investors, you don't know if it's a good deal or bad deal. But let's just say you have a, a semi-lukewarm, decent deal in this environment. Then we look at the other side of the equation, which is a bit of a crystal ball outlook. Knowing what I know now, 
and not knowing how it's going to play out in the future. What I think might happen is two more rate increases, summertime, interest rates stabilize, and maybe come down later on in the year. If I knew that was going to happen, if I jumped in my DeLorean and I knew that, then what I would probably do is I'd probably do a floating especially on like a neutral lukewarm deal because I know interest rates are going to go down. But the problem is I don't know that for sure. I don't have my Sporks almanac and I don't know what the interest rates are going to be doing one year, two years from now. I can speculate in my head what is the pessimistic thing that's going to happen that I talk about on, where is it? This slide, right? Where the interest rates are put up but the Fed didn't enough interest rate hiking and the problem rears its ugly head and you get even sicker right now and you need to push the interest rates even higher, which now we're looking at then like 2026 to come out of it. So this is a three-year time horizon. If I knew that was going to happen, then I guess I would be doing a fixed rate debt deal. But then again, I you probably wouldn't be able to freaking cash flow. See what I'm saying? then I wouldn't be doing the deal. And I guess I break it down to the most smallest common denominator, which is if I was buying a turnkey rental, the damn thing doesn't even cash flow today. So I wouldn't even buy it. Turnkey rentals is not value add. But I don't know. It depends. It depends on what you have is your best alternative to having your money sit losing 9% every year with to inflation, right? If you have access to other great deals making 12, 13, 14, 15%, especially as preferred equity, I'm not, I'm going to do that. But if you're an unsophisticated investor who has no network, has no deal flow, then you might have to just jump into that deal. And good luck to you guys. There are a lot of people doing deals just to do deals because they are a newbie status under $1 billion of assets under ownership. And right now, if I was a coach coaching those guys, which I'm not because I, I don't want to be a, one of these dozens of fake gurus teaching this stuff, I would be telling them, yeah, I guess you have to get out there because all the big players such as us are sitting on the sidelines. And this is the only way you're going to get a chance at one of these deals from the brokers. Or what some people are doing too is they're doing deals just to get acquisition fees to plug up holes on other deals, which is something we are not doing. So the problem for past investors, you don't know which of the two that is. I think I've set this subject good. If you guys have any other questions, you go to the YouTube channel, put the comments below. You guys know how to do this. I'm going to put this along with the dozens of other videos on into the syndication e-course. Again, if you guys want the light version of that, you guys can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash syndication. You can get the free version of that. But if you want the better stuff, you have to join the investor club, simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. This is part two of the floating rate debt discussion I had was our floating rates. Do they adjust monthly, quarterly, yearly? I mean, it all depends on the lender, especially if you're going to the community banks. But generally speaking, it'll adjust per month. I was working interest rates tick up again that'll just reflect pretty quickly the other question that came up is people didn't realize a lot of these rates were done, or these rate caps were done by outside insurance companies and yeah that's how it is although the, in, the industries are pretty much well entwined it starts to the way i thought about it recently it's in a way semi-gambling but it's still calculated risk and if you have the ability to pull yourself out of the hole in terms of force appreciation via value add, then 
you know, really what risk is there, right? If anything, the risk is just in the short term, being able to pay your debt service without running dry with your cash reserves. And a lot of these deals, like the cash reserves that the banks will want will be on the scale of one, two, three million dollars. And even if there's a shortfall, that will last for quite some time. And I'm a passive investor in a bunch of deals and I'm seeing a bunch of these oopsie letters coming through from other operators. And it's something that everybody is dealing with. 2021, you couldn't get deals really done unless you were, do- you were underwriting with floating rate debt. And that's why you were doing it too, because rents were going up and they're still going up for the most part. That may not be what the general news is saying, but if you're in good emerging markets, then that's still happening. But yeah, definitely tough times. I'm seeing some people doing deals just to do deals so they can get some acquisition fees because some of these companies have a multi one, $2 million payroll budget and they don't want to stop that. They don't want to stop the marketing machine. They want to just get more and more investors to do more deals. And then even though the deals don't pencil, I don't know. I hope that those people do well who are doing that. We've taken the opposite approach, cutting staff, cutting payroll, cutting those expenses and not doing deals because deals don't work as opposed to what I see it as is kicking the can down the road but a different way we kick the can down the road with taxes this I feel like it's just going to catch up with people can't especially if you're going into a deal now and then you don't really get into it until you close in two to three months and then your flowing rate debt is you're starting off at seven percent maybe even higher and then it increases from there you're going to burn through those cash reserves pretty quickly But anyway, that's why we focus more on preferred equity debt in this probably a year, maybe two year environment where, you know, just the interest rates just aren't making deals work these days. But I think tough times, I definitely am a little bit too much into the weeds with what's happening with the Fed, what's happening with economic, macroeconomic predictions. If you guys are interested in that, you definitely go into that in the weekly updates but i think sometimes i lose sight of the tree line or whatever the saying is that on the nutshell a lot of the deals he went in prior to 2021 and then i just came back from another development deal that's beyond what we perform it out we'll probably get their stabilization to the summertime with the summertime push those are the vast majority out there and i think it goes to show that investors newer investors look at this and they're like now's not a good time to be buying you don't really know when you know things are going to change but if you're always going in deals consistently in a way dollar cost averaging you're always kind of diversifying your risk and Sure, maybe those couple deals that you went in the last three months, six months, maybe they're struggling and they'll eventually pull through. But if you've got dozens of other deals that you were in prior to that, then I think that's how you need to look at it from a portfolio. And I try to remind myself and not just focus on the negative, but I think that's why I've preached diversifying over many deals and you just got to get started yesterday. Right? You got to build up that track record, that lineage of in deals, because you never know when the music is going to stop. In fact, you know it's going to stop at some point. It's just hopefully as an individual investor, your average weighted amount of all your investments is to the good. If you're an investor who got into this in 
late 2021, you went to a few deals and you know, you're hurting right now. But if you're like somebody like myself, who's been investing for quite some time, it's just maybe less than five, 10% of your whole portfolio. And it really isn't a big deal. And you're, you're going to kind of continue to invest through it. And you're going to be able to reap that quick bounce back when it does happen, which people who are not in the game, who are going to sit it out for the next year or two, will miss out. But anyway, if you guys have any other questions on this, let me know. We'll do very future podcasts on topics like this, what's actually going on. I'm getting tired of these podcasts or YouTube topics where it just goes over the same dang thing. I think this is where I think I'd like to have the snapshot of myself in the future as I weigh risk and as my risk tolerance goes down in the future, how ways I'm going to look at it from a mindset and emotional standpoint because at the end of the day that's really all it is for people who play poker right they say it's all about reading other players and evaluating risks but thanks for listening guys we'll see you guys next time bye